Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, uh, take them with me today. We're going to look at several portions of Scripture. And uh, before you before you jump right into a text with me, I, I want to just kind of lay a foundation for this message today that we're titling, Let the Bridge Burn. On this Memorial Day weekend, I want to challenge you with this thought. You know, you've probably been given the advice before. Uh, I know I have. Don't burn your bridges. You ever had anybody tell you that before? You know, if you're leaving a job and you're frustrated and, and you, you just love to just, you know, storm out and slam the door. But wisdom dictates, hey, don't burn your bridges. Um, I learned as a senior in high school when I went to my uh, third job and they wanted a reference from my first employer <laughs> that it was a good thing that I didn't leave the way I wanted to leave and instead I chose not to burn my bridges because I had to call that guy back for a reference and he was happy to give me one because I didn't burn my bridges when I left but today I, I want to advise you differently and the reason I do is because there are some cases where it's absolutely important that you Burn the bridge. Sometimes you just can't afford the risk of going back to the way things were. Sometimes if you've gotten away from something, you need to make sure that there's no way in the world that things are going to revert back to what they used to be. And the best thing you can do is to completely destroy that bridge in your life. Now, just again, by way of introduction, I want to share a, a story that many of you are familiar with. In fact, we get a lot of educators in the room and a lot of you have spent a whole lifetime living in this area and, and you could tell this better than me, but, but I'll take a stab at some of the details of why Wrightsville is, is significant in American history on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, there's a picture of, that I took yesterday while we were out at Heritage Days. That's right there at the, uh, at the square in Wrightsville and those, those cannons are there. In fact, you can see the Feltenberger's house there, the blue shutters right there in the picture. But those cannons there, you can't read the plaque from here, but the plaque on it says this. These guns, presented by the U.S. government, mark Wrightsville as the farthest point east reached by the Confederate forces, June 28, 1863, during the Civil War. By late June of 1863... The Confederate Army had invaded Pennsylvania. General Robert E. Lee had a plan to to bring the war to the north. And so they came into Pennsylvania and he had instructed General Ewell to capture the state capital if it comes within your means. And so after capturing York, the rebels planned to move eastward and take the state capital and possibly Philadelphia to get there. They would need to cross the Susquehanna River at Wrightsville. Ours was the only bridge that could be crossed 25 miles north or south. And so this was the place they came. Outmanned by General Gordon and his battle-tested troops, there were about 250 local militia and volunteers that were waiting in the trenches in Wrightsville. The Pennsylvania militiamen at the river made a vow to not let the Confederates advance beyond the bridge. Union troops that were retreating from York joined them, as did a company of African-American militiamen, the first black troops 
from Camp William Penn came to Wrightsville. But in all, they still had less than 1,500 men. So on June 28th, the day memorialized by the cannons, the rebels opened up artillery fire and the Union position rapidly became untenable. The militiamen decided to retreat to Columbia and to blow up one of the sections of the over a mile long bridge behind them so that they could deny the rebels entry into Lancaster. But the explosion failed. So in order to stop them, they decided to set fire to the bridge. As the Confederates surged forward, the bridge erupted into flames. And Gordon's brigade was recalled to York the next day. So in that moment, as an act of desperation, the call was made to let the bridge burn. We've got to stop them. And so instead of knocking down one section, the whole thing was destroyed. What I want to say to you in light of that story is that when it comes to our spiritual life, there is some ground that we cannot afford to lose. There are some points where you have to put a stake in the ground. You have to dig down into the trenches and you have to say, absolutely no farther will the enemy go in my life. I want to challenge you today as we look into the scriptures to understand that that there are places in your life, places in my life, where we are more prone and susceptible to the strategies and the tactics of the devil. There are some temptations that just won't touch me because I'm wired one way and there's other things I may struggle with that will have no impact on your life. But it's up to you today with the help of the Holy Spirit, to discern what those areas of in your life where the enemy continues to cross over that bridge, continues to advance onto your heart and onto your mind, what is God's? What is rightfully under the, the, the blood of Jesus when He saved you? He bought you with the price of His own blood. You're not your own, the Bible says. Your life belongs to Him. But yet there are bridges that we keep letting the enemy cross over. Into territories of our heart and our life. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. It says, do not give the devil a foothold. And can I tell you, that's exactly what he's trying to do today. He wants to get a foothold in your life. He wants to find an access point. A place where he has leverage. Maybe it's a temptation of something that you struggle with. Something you've struggled with for years. Maybe it's some outward addiction. But maybe it's something that's internalized in your heart, in your thinking. I want to talk about some of those things today. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. Can you say that today? He was talking about the devil when he said the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. Listen, here's my heart. In this service, I want this church to be a place where you and where I can say to the devil, you're not going any farther. Let the bridge burn today. You're not going any farther. You're not you're not wreaking havoc in my life anymore. You're not going to drag me back through the same old muck and mire of yesterday. From this moment forward, let that bridge be burned today in this house. Amen. Amen. 
So as I share a couple of thoughts with you today, I understand I'm not going to speak to everyone's issue, but the Holy Spirit will if you'll let him. I want to talk to you about a couple of the, the bridges that I see Satan using to access our hearts in our lives. And the first one is a bridge I'm simply going to call unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Do you know who suffers when you choose not to forgive? You do. That's absolutely right. You do. You know, you can lose a whole night's sleep stressing and mulling over and rehashing and thinking about the person that offended you, the person you're upset at. You can sit and and replay the conversations and all the things that you should have said and that you would have said if you had the chance to say it again. And you can you can absolutely stress yourself out while they sleep like a baby. Unforgiveness hurts us. Unforgiveness is like it's like drinking a vial of poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Unforgiveness hurts us. If so, listen, if somebody has hurt you in your past, what we tend to do this, we tend to think that if I hold a grudge, if I harbor resentment, if I harbor unforgiveness, that somehow you can hold something over on them. That because they've hurt you, now you're not going to give them the satisfaction of, of forgiveness. And you think that, that you can somehow shackle them by your unforgiveness. I want to tell you today that unforgiveness certainly is shackles. But unforgiveness is a prison door that locks from the inside. And when you choose to hold on to unforgiveness, you are imprisoning your own heart. I'm going to tell you something today that that Satan has already figured out a long time ago. And that's this, that unforgiveness of others has a direct correlation to your relationship with God. Now, Now think about this for a moment. The way that you respond to the hurts that other people have inflicted in your life is a direct connection to your relationship with God. And I'm going to show you in the scripture. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and beginning in verse 21, this is a a parable that Jesus taught. Now, parables are, are just illustrative stories to communicate a biblical truth to us. Jesus was trying to communicate what The kingdom of God is like and and to get context, it's important that we look at verse 21 because this shows us the motivation for why Jesus is about to tell this incredible, incredible parable about forgiveness. Here's the motivation. Verse 21, Matthew 18. Are you there? All right. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins Against me. Up to seven times. Jesus responds. I tell you. Not seven times. But 77 times. Or some translations say. 70 times seven. Listen. It's not the number. It's hyperbole. Jesus is exaggerating the point. He's saying it's not 77 times. It's not 490 times. It's bigger than that. There's a principle that you need to understand. About forgiveness and so on that basis of conversation he launches into this story about an unmerciful servant i want you to see it today if you have a bible if not it's on the screen behind me but it says that jesus said in verse 23 therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now imagine the significance of that. My footnote says 10,000 talents or bags of gold. A talent was worth about 20 years of a day's labor wages. One talent, 20 years of a day's labor wages. And he says this man that came to him owed him 10,000 of those. More than a lifetime of debt is what he's saying. This man owed the king. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. But at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, if you know he had a debt that big, he couldn't pay it all back. But he's begging, he's pleading for mercy. And it says in verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Completely exonerated him of the debt. But look on with me. Verse 28 says, but when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now you see the way that Jesus is exaggerating in this story. That this man owed a lifetime's worth of debt. Now he finds someone, now that he's been forgiven, immediately he goes out and he finds a man that owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, verse 28 says. And he began to choke the man. Be patient, He said, pay back what you owe me. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So we see the role reversal. But look at verse 30. He refused. See that? He refused. Instead, he went off and he had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Remember, Jesus is answering Peter's question, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? He's telling this story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt. And because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And that's the principle, church. Right there. Verse 33. That's the principle of forgiveness. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Reading on. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This, Jesus said, is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. That's a a bombshell parable. When Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God looks like, this unmerciful servant went out in frustration and strangled a man who owed him 
Practically nothing compared to his own debt. And he had already been forgiven. And here's the truth. The reason that he went out demanding payment from this man is that even though the king had already forgiven his debt, he hadn't fully received forgiveness. He hadn't fully received it. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus died for your sins Paid in full. The debt is canceled. But the reality is, you may have heard that. You may have prayed a prayer saying, I believe that. But there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God walking around with a guilty conscience. They haven't fully embraced the grace that saved them. And they're walking around like this servant. And they're looking with a a scornful look and a furrowed brow and a finger pointed at everybody else and everybody else's faults. And what's wrong with everybody else? They're looking with the eyes of unforgiveness. Jesus is communicating to us that the way that we show forgiveness to others is directly connected to your relationship with God. Wait a minute. Am I saying that that God forgives you of your sins because you forgive other people? No. God forgives you of your sins because you confess your sins. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You don't have to have a conversation with anybody else today. If there's sin in your heart, if you'll call on God, He will forgive you. But... Your forgiveness of other people is a testimony of your understanding of what forgiveness with God is. See, there's a lot of people that have prayed a prayer and said, God, forgive me of my sins. And and, and I'm going to give you the opportunity before we leave this service to pray that prayer. It's an important prayer. It's one that should be prayed. But if you can say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I don't deserve heaven. I realize my sins deserve to be punished. And I could never, ever be good enough to enter into your kingdom. Yet, God, I believe in Jesus. And I receive your forgiveness. If you get to the place where you can say that and mean that and understand what it means, then there's no way you can walk away from that altar experience and look at somebody else and say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. They don't deserve for me to forgive them. See, your forgiveness of other people testifies to your understanding of what it really means. To be forgiven by God. You'll have to forgive me today. I'm fighting a cold. If you don't. I thought the sermon was over right there for a second. <coughs> Don't say amen now. I want to challenge you today. Because maybe you're here in, in all seriousness and and you struggle with, with forgiveness. Somebody hurt you, and I don't want to make light of that. Because maybe you're carrying a deep wound today. And and you're you're having a hard time letting go of that. I want to encourage you today that to forgive somebody is not to say what you did is okay. 
because maybe it wasn't. <clears throat> to forgive somebody is to release it into the hands of God. To forgive somebody is to realize I don't deserve forgiveness. And yet God forgave me fully and completely. Listen, if somebody has, has caused you hurt, if they've caused you pain, maybe they ruined your yesterday. They destroyed your life in the past. If you choose to hold on to unforgiveness, it's like, it's like letting them live rent free in your tomorrow. But when you, when you forgive, when you turn it over to God, it's like, it's like serving an eviction notice to yesterday's pain. It's like saying, I'm not going to be captive to that anymore. I'm not going to be held down by that anymore. I'm going to release them from the burden of unforgiveness. And in doing so, you release yourself. And I want to just challenge you, if that's you today, this is a bridge you cannot afford to let the enemy keep crossing over. He'll keep pulling you back into it, pulling you back into your sorrow, pulling you back into your shame, pulling you back into yesterday's defeats. God wants to, by His Spirit, let that bridge burn and let you walk out of here in freedom today. Let me tell you about another bridge that I see a lot of people allowing the enemy to cross over. And that's a bridge that's similar to unforgiveness, but it's not towards others. It's, it's unforgiveness towards ourselves. And I'm going to call this bridge condemnation. Can I tell you that guilt is a bridge that runs into the darkest corners of our soul? When we feel guilt over things we've done, over things that we've said, over mistakes that we've made in our past. You know, there's some Christians, they, they love God, they serve God, maybe they, they attend church and from the outside you would think that they've got it all together. But there's many who call themselves the, the sons and the daughters of God, who've accepted the gift of salvation and freedom in Christ. And yet they're never stepping into the things that God has for them. God doesn't just save us to give us a place in heaven. God saves us because He has a, a commission for us in the earth. And there's some people that are never going to walk into the fulfillment of their God-given destiny because they're riddled with guilt. They're overwhelmed in their heart. And every time it's two steps forward and three steps back. Every time they feel like they've gotten to a place where maybe they're ready to, to pick up the pieces and, and move forward to allow God to use them, all of a sudden that voice of condemnation starts to speak again. It's a voice that many of you are familiar with. It says, you're never going to be good enough. You don't have the ability. You've made too many mistakes. If you try, you will fail. You tried before, and you'll fail again. This time won't be any different than last time. Everyone else is more qualified than you are. And that voice continues to ring in our minds. And guilt overwhelms us. But can I tell you what Jesus said? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And you need to learn to discern. There is a big difference between a voice of conviction and a voice of condemnation. There's a difference. The thing is, neither of them feel good at the time. When conviction is on your heart, you, you, you feel restless, you feel burdened, you feel, uh, 
you, you feel a heaviness. And, and it's the same way with condemnation when it comes on you like a cloud. But the difference is this. When condemnation comes on you, it holds you down so that you can't make any progress. When conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on you, it slows you down so that you can navigate the turns and make a better direction. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. David talked about it in in Psalm 32. He was describing what it felt like when he was living in sin. We don't have time to tell his whole story, but, but the short version is this. Here's the man after God's own heart, the king of the nation, and he's committed adultery. He's hiding a lie. And he's living in the tension of that moment. And now in retrospect, he writes about what it felt like. He's not describing condemnation. He's describing conviction. A work of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in Psalm 32 verse 3. He said, when I kept silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He was feeling the the weight of conviction. God's hand, he said, was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And maybe you've been under a weight of of condemnation and you say, well, what's the difference? That's what it feels like. All the negative self-talk. It feels like a heavy weight. The difference is in the outcome. Look at the next verse. Verse 5, David said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my Sin. David felt that that heavy, oppressive feeling. He described it as the weight of God's hand upon him. He said, my bones were wasting away. It was terrible. I hated living in the lie. I hated the lie. I hated the secrecy. I just wanted out of it. But the Spirit of God was in that moment. And He was calling him to change. See, the spirit of condemnation says you can't change. You'll recognize that voice when it comes because it says you can't change, you can't improve, you can't do better. You'll never measure up. You'll never get it right. There's no grace in a spirit of condemnation. And some of you, you've been self-inflicted with it. It's It's a access point that the enemy continues to use in your life. You can't change. But the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He calls us up. He calls us out. Of the place we're in. See the gospel says this. The gospel says if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold all things have become new. The gospel says you have changed. Maybe you haven't fleshed it out yet. Maybe you're still struggling in your mind. And in your emotions. But you've already changed. When you called on Jesus. The Bible says. That the work that God began in you. He will bring to completion. God is working. He is going to turn circumstances around. That's that's conviction in a moment when we need it. See, the Bible Bible describes in 2 Corinthians, Paul had written a letter to the church there. And it was a a pretty scathing letter. I mean, he he was really harsh. And, And when they received the letter, he got word that he had offended them. He was too harsh. And and he felt bad about it. But then what happened is after they received the letter of correction, 
They felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they adjusted their course. They changed their ways. And so then Paul writes this letter in 2 Corinthians in a reply. And listen to his words in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. He said, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. I did regret it. But now I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so you were not harmed in any way by us. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians verse 10 of chapter 7. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to death. The Holy Spirit wants to bring conviction into our lives to guard us, to protect us when we start to to go the wrong way or move down the wrong path. I've I've often said this uh, kind of jokingly, but serious. Uh, When I was a teenager, I, I was no more perfect than any other teenager, but I wasn't a good sinner. I sinned, I just wasn't good at it. Because... My parents raised me right. I was very familiar with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And every time I'd start to go down the road, I knew I wasn't supposed to go down. Even if I decided to go down it anyway, I was guilt ridden the whole time. And you know what? Now I thank God for that. I didn't appreciate it so much then. But I thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not to condemn us or to push us down, but to call us to righteousness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But some of you, it's not the conviction that you're feeling. It's a work of the enemy. Because there's no grace in it. You've heard a voice that continues to press you down. And I want to challenge you today to to set a fire to that bridge. And to reject the voice of condemnation. That wants to continue to to belittle you and disqualify you from the things that God's called you to do. And from the person that he's called you to be. Because the Holy Spirit's work is not a condemning work. It's a grace work. It's a grace work. And I can't describe it except that you know it when you experience it. When the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Even though it it can be a tough word and it can be a a heavy hand. you, You sense God's grace in it. Titus talked about it when when Titus said these words. He said, the grace of God that has appeared to us and offered salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Titus said, the same grace that saved us teaches us how to live a godly life. And when you sense that grace working in your life, you know it's conviction. And not that voice of condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1. Beautiful verse. There is now therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you today. Not to misinterpret the consequences of your actions. As condemnation from God. The reality is this. God loves you. God is for you. And if you ask him God will forgive you but that does not change the fact that we all live within the laws of sowing and reaping and there's a lot of times that people have come to god and asked forgiveness and asked for grace and received it but you still have to deal with the repercussions of your choices 
And so because you're still dealing with the impact that your bad decisions made, you can have this unbiblical uh, perspective that, that God must not love me. God must not have forgiven me. God must be punishing me for the things that I did. Listen, don't mistake the repercussions of your own choices as condemnation from God. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And if that's you today, and maybe maybe you've come to Christ and you've asked for forgiveness, but the reality is you made a lot of choices before you got to that point. And you're dealing with the fruits that you sowed towards. You're living in yesterday's harvest field. Know this, God's grace is sufficient for you today. He's not going to snap his fingers and, and take away all of the things that you have to deal with now because of what you did yesterday. But the reality is, don't mistake those consequences for God's condemnation of you. He's for you. He loves you. He forgives you. He wants to lead you by His Holy Spirit. The Bible says this. <clears throat> I thought of another verse. The Bible says, Come to me all who are thirsty. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. She'll she'll get it there. Thank you. The Bible tells us a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a righteous man or a woman doesn't fall. I'm going to challenge you to get back up again. By the Holy Spirit today, burn that bridge of, of condemnation that says you can't get up, you can't do it, that you've, you've wasted away your days of grace. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Dig down into the trenches and say today, by faith, devil, not anymore. I'm not living under condemnation anymore. I want to tell you, I could talk about three more of these things and probably a lot more today. But more than, more than preach to you the examples, I want to give you an opportunity today to respond to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I, I want to... Let me just make one final application to you today. You know, the Bible says in Acts 19, and you don't have to turn there, that there, the gospel was going to Ephesus. Paul had preached there. I mean, powerful things were happening. In fact, the Bible says that everyone uh, within, within that region of Asia heard the gospel. In a two-year time period, Paul preached and lives were, were changed dramatically. Miracles were happening. Unexplainable, supernatural miracles. For example, the Bible says in Acts 19 that, that, that Paul uh, just prayed over handkerchiefs. And, and they took the handkerchiefs to people that Paul didn't have time to get to. And everybody that took one of the handkerchiefs got healed. I mean, that's powerful. That's amazing. Now, don't try to make a ministry out of that. God didn't say you need to go and pray over handkerchiefs and send them to people. Don't have time to stay there. But here's what I want you to get. These people are experiencing revival. The Bible says everybody in Ephesus heard the gospel. And yet, there were still bridges that the enemy had into their life. You say, how do you know that? I know that because the Bible says that there were people that were preaching. They, they were casting out devils. And they were saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we command you uh, to be gone. And, and one day, 
there were seven sons of a man named Sceva who went out doing that very thing. And there was a man possessed by the devil and they said, you know, in, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. And that devil through that man looked at him and said, Jesus I know. Paul I know about. But who are you? And that one man possessed by the devil jumped on those seven brothers and beat them so severely. The Bible says, you can read this, Acts 19. They ran out of the house bleeding and naked. And here's, here's the amazing part of the story. Because we're in Ephesus. The gospel has gone to all of Asia. For two years they've been hearing Paul preach. I mean, this is revival. And yet, after all of that, now the, these seven brothers get a thrashing from a demon spirit. And all of a sudden... People start to realize, man, the devil's no joke. I mean, this is, this is real. And, and people that on the outside might have looked like they had it all together realized, you know what? We better double back around and make sure that there's no entry points in our heart and life. Because if the devil can do that to them, I don't want him to do anything in my life. And all of a sudden there was a seriousness that came over the church. And here's the response. I just want to read the response to you. In that moment, here's how the people responded. When it became known, I'm reading verse 17 of Acts 19. When it became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Kind of makes you wonder where they were holding the name of Jesus before that moment. But now suddenly, they're holding him in high honor. Verse 18 says, Many of those who believed now came and they openly confessed what they had done. We're talking to the church today, okay? No halos in here. These are people that had already believed. But when they found out about how the enemy was beating up on church folks, now they came and confessed What they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery. Brought their scrolls together. And they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls. The total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now we don't spend drachmas. But let me tell you. One of those was a silver coin. Worth a day's wages. So when they valued all the scrolls of sorcery and witchcraft that had been burned in a big bonfire in the middle of the town, they said it was 50,000 days wages. I'm going to tell you what happened right then. People recognized there's an area in our life where the enemy still has access. We already believed. We love Jesus. But because of this situation that happened to the sons of Sceva, all of a sudden they recognized something important. There's some things that we just can't afford to allow the enemy to cross over into. And all of a sudden, all the little witchcraft they were dabbling in, all the sorcery and the the black magic and the things that they were doing, they got serious about it. And they had a good old house cleaning. And they brought all that stuff and they threw it in a fire. Now, when I was a teenager... I heard messages preached out of this text. And after the message, we'd have a big old bonfire out in the churchyard. And I can remember people going out to their car and getting their CDs and their cassette tapes. And if you had eight tracks, I wasn't in your youth group. 
But man, kids would go and get drugs that they had stashed. They'd bring their little devices and they'd throw it all in the fire. We'd have a big come to Jesus bonfire. Now, I'm not going to light anything this morning. But I want to invite you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's an internal thing. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's self-condemnation or guilt. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's very tangible like it was for the people in Acts 19. They were dabbling in witchcraft. Maybe for you it's pornography or drugs or alcohol. Some vice that, that the enemy keeps crossing over. I want to pray for you in this moment. And I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit, who is typified all through the Bible as a fire, to come and say, let that bridge burn today. Don't allow the enemy any longer to traffic in and out of your life through this weak access point. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. We're going to pray. Would you just bow your head with me? Make an altar right where you stand. Between you and the Lord. You probably don't have to think or pray long about it. But go ahead and ask the Holy Spirit. What are the things in my life. That I've allowed the enemy to. To use to gain access. I should be doing better than I'm doing. I should be. I should be farther along in my faith, but I keep losing ground because of this, this one bridge that he keeps crossing over. Bridges of lust, bridges of anger, gossip, pride, unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, would you just make this extremely personal right now to us? there's something that that you want to show us today and God I ask in this moment that we would like David did we would make a resolution we would resolve today to let the bridge burn Father right now by your Holy Spirit Begin to speak to your people. Begin to speak to your people today. God, I thank you right in this moment. That you're showing us things that maybe we don't even like to think about. Things we don't like to look at. God, let the searchlight of the Holy Spirit be directed on our hearts. On our minds. Right now in this moment, Lord. In Jesus' name.